0: Hello, listeners, and welcome to another WIP12 podcast. Today, we've got another installment of the Couch to Competitive series. Um, just as a reminder, this is a series where each episode explores a specific topic that falls within the hierarchy of competitive play. And the idea is that whether you're a new or experienced player, these discussions can act as a springboard to better competition and maybe more understanding and appreciation of what competitive infinity draws upon. Today, I have um, my guest, Adam, someone that I've known for a very long time, actually, um, and we will be discussing tempo. Hi, Adam. uh, It's really good to have you on the show today. How are you?
1: Hello. It's good to be here. Yeah, I'm good. Looking forward to this.
0: Nice. Yeah. So I think today will be really interesting because you're not primarily an Infinity player, really. Uh You're more of a, a kind of Magic player and, and you've played a bunch of other, like, you know, card games and things like that, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. So I, I do have a bunch of Wargaming experience from back in the day. Played a lot of 40K, uh, some War Machine. I've, I have played Infinity. I've played a little bit of it. Um, mm. But primarily, I'm, I've got a lot of experience with card games. So with Magic the Gathering, um, I've played a ton of Magic. Uh, I used to be one of the more prominent players for a game called Duelist when that was around as an online card game that had like a grid based movement. So had a little bit of that war game DNA in it. Um, and yeah, i have sort of gradually become more and more of an aficionado of competitive gaming over time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting to play a wide variety of different games and kind of see how their concepts and their DNA, things that you've mentioned kind of make their way across into other genres.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I've definitely been able to take things I've learned from each game into the next when I, when I started and each one is easier to pick up than the last was um, even across genres.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I feel that myself as well. Um, so Generally in kind of card games war games and things, what sort of play styles do you most enjoy? Like what do you go for most often?
1: It really varies based on the game. Um, I tend to enjoy things that are a bit more tricksy or mechanically interesting. Mm. Um, but what form that takes depends on the game and the format that we're playing. Sure. Um, in War Machine, I always played like combos, basically, where you try and War Machine has, you know, one model where if you kill it, you win. So I was yeah, just trying to assassinate right. that and ignore the other stuff. Um, or in 40K, in 40k, I played Tyranids mostly because they were cool. Um, mm-hmm. They were what drew me into the hobby. But um, in Magic, uh, again, I play a variety of stuff, but I, I always like it when I get to do something that's weird or interesting or unusual mm-hmm. uh, rather than something that feels more, feels like it's doing the same thing every time or feels right. like it's more straightforward
0: yeah like linear i suppose uh-huh. yeah yeah preferring things that feel a little bit more varied i guess
1: yeah um, or just yeah. complicated and weird
0: right just a bit strange um yeah <laughs> and you've been playing competitively for quite a long time right like you your magic career if it's fair to use the word career i guess it is um is is like very uh, established i suppose
1: yeah i never had uh really notable success in magic, but I've been playing in tournaments and doing okay for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, more recently over the last few years, I've become a judge, um, which is the the magic equivalent of a walker, someone who runs tournaments, helps with rules, questions, helps with the community and so on. Mm -hmm. Um, in Duelist, I won quite a few tournaments and was a regular top eight, um, person top eight placer that community was relatively small um but also i was uh, i I streamed the game um and i was someone people that kind of people looked up to or or respected and on on some level because Mm -hmm. of that position um so i was i was kind of a relatively large fish in quite a small pond but it certainly (laughs) shaped my experiences a lot
0: yeah definitely and i think it's fair enough to say that you are a legitimately good duelist player based on you know what i've seen and heard
1: Thank you, yeah, it was in my, in my heyday it was pretty good for sure. Um, especially I mean, Duelist was a very difficult game. Uh, it's very challenging. so although there weren't too many of us, the people who were the people who were really good at it had to be like there's quite a high level that you need to play at in order to yeah. achieve that uh, level of success.:
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, it was quite quite a tricky game, definitely.
1: yeah, really challenging. Um,
0: so today i guess we're going to be talking about tempo which is um a term that i first became familiar with from magic actually um many many years ago um i think it's um well i don't know it feels like it's from card games originally maybe it's not actually i don't know the history of the term to be honest um do you know anything about that or not so much
1: no i th- i th- i think i'm pretty sure it's from card games uh, I haven't really heard it in other contexts mm-hmm. at least not as much um, but it's talked about a lot in in a magic context
0: yeah definitely definitely I, I i hear about it most often in magic but the reason why I chose this topic for today is that actually i think tempo has a huge impact on war games um 40 k and infinity and I also personally feel that it's not talked about very often um, Mm -hmm. in Infinity specifically. Um, My my perception is that it plays a very large role in in how matchups work, right? You know, whether you're being more reactive or proactive or whatever, but there's not the use of this term tempo to kind of describe that. So I, I was really keen to kind of talk about that today with you
1: awesome yeah let's uh let's dig into it i let let's go in yeah <laughs> so uh, I guess we should start by explaining what it is um yes before we go any further so this this is the hardest yeah. part of talking about yeah, tempos it's it it is, defining it? tempo
0: yeah. yeah
1: um so the way I always explain tempo is uh I liken it to momentum um so if both players are doing stuff right in a, in a typical game of any, one v one competitive game. Um, one of you, imagine one player is winning because they have more stuff on the board than the opponent. Right? You're playing Infinity. Uh, you've killed two of your opponent's things, so you have more stuff than them. Um, that gives you an advantage that uh, in that you can you have more options. You have, in this case, you have more orders. Obviously, mm-hmm. from game to game, it depends. You know, um, in games where you only have, you know, each unit does one thing, having more units means you can do more things. Right. Um, in the same way, you have more points worth of stuff in play than them. So your army is more powerful.
0: And that yeah, gives absolutely. you a certain
1: advantage, right? You're going to be able to dictate the pace of the game because you have more stuff to throw around and you have more mm-hmm. actions that you can take. Yes. Um, And that gives you an advantage in terms of air quotes tempo um, mm-hmm. in magic and other card games. um, These games are a little different from war games in that you start with, you don't usually start with anything in play. Um, in Infinity, you start with all or most of your forces in play at the beginning of the game, and then they, they are reduced over time. Whereas right. in card games, you start with nothing and then build up over time. <laughs> uh, and so if you can build up faster than your opponent, you get that same kind of effect where you have more stuff in play than them, so you get to kind of dictate the pace of the game, right. you know, forcing them to try and catch up, uh, which gives you the tempo, as it were. Yeah. Um, I've also heard it referred to as having, like, having the initiative, Mm-hmm. Um, if you imagine that like so you're playing you're playing a card game um, and no person has anything in play or you just started a game of infinity and you're going first, right You get to take the first action. What you do is likely to give you some benefit, right? On your turn, usually you can do things that are more powerful. So in mm-hmm. a card game, I can play a creature, uh, I can put something on the board that will attack my opponent. Um, and so now I have a thing and they don't. In infinity, I get to shoot your stuff. My, you know, most of the time units are better in the active turn, you know, yep. attacking is more efficient than taking AROs, so I'm right. likely to kill your things, which gives me some kind of lead. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then the player who's on the back foot in that case is kind of behind on tempo because they mm-hmm. are being forced to react to what their opponent's doing or like play around what their opponent can do yep. in order to prevent getting run over by their opponent snowballing the fact that they have more stuff in play. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, yeah. So they they might need to take remedial steps to catch up, um, to, be into the, to get into the same position.
1: Exactly. Um,
0: I think I say to people that have never heard of the term tempo before, I guess I just kind of talk about the speed of play. Like, who, mm. like how quickly are things happening? Who is taking the initiative and who's on the back foot? I think that's a really good way of thinking about tempo.
1: Yeah, how positive don't I sleep? Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's but it it is quite difficult because it's not it's not really a simple concept and most importantly it's not a static concept, right? So tempo and the idea of it and what it looks like is going to change from game to game, from force to force, from player to player. Um so you can't just point at one thing and say this, this is what it looks like, right? Because it doesn't look like any one thing.
1: Yeah. And it changes in the game as well. Like right. If I'm if I'm going first in a game of infinity, I'm like right, I'm going to use my my actions to put my opponent on the back foot by killing their stuff. And I move a piece and I shoot somebody and I, you know, I flood my roll and the ARO kills my, my unit. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden I've spent an order and got nothing out of it. and My unit is dead. So mm-hmm. all of a sudden my opponent has gained tempo from me. Mm-hmm. They've kind of stolen that momentum in a way because right. now they've had more stuff than I do. Um, similarly, if you're playing a card game, if I play a thing, I, I spend my turn playing a, a creature um, and then you kill it and play your own creature before I can do anything else, mm-hmm. um, that gives you a, a huge swing. Like you've taken the 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 lead, the momentum from me. And so you've made what's called a tempo play where you've mm-hmm. positioned yourself ahead on tempo. Um, right. And then similarly, if you've already got a tempo lead and your opponent plays a thing, and you kill it and then play something else, you're snowballing that tempo lead. Yeah, um,
0: Absolutely. Um, and th- this comes down often to resource <laughs> management as well. Um, the sexiest part of any game, of course, just resource <laughs> management.
1: Um, time, time is what, a resource.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Time is a resource. Um, in card games, mana is a resource. In Infinity, orders are a resource. Um, your troops are a resource as well, of course. But one of the things that we used to talk about a lot in Magic, of course, is that if you... Spend a lot of mana, so mana is just basically how many actions you can take. Kind of. Um, if you if you spend a lot of actions doing one thing, and the opponent answers that thing for fewer actions, so you spend, let's say, five arbitrary points, and your opponent spends two arbitrary points stopping you, then obviously that puts you behind, right? Because um, the opponent then has three spare to do something of their own, right? Um, and then they could make a play with that three remaining, um, like arbitrary. points Um, yeah that's absolutely right yeah and it's similar in infinity actually as well you know if i if i spend half a turn on some big beefy heavy infantry and i kind of walk it up from my deployment zone i get it into the middle of the board and i'm like right you know now i'm ready to attack you um and then it dies to an aro that costs you precisely zero orders um i'm massively behind like i've lost half a turn and i've done nothing um so, tempo is really important in that respect because you've got to think about um, how how many resources have I put into making my plays, and how many resources is it going to take my opponent to undo the damage that I have done?
1: Yeah. And specifically, I think although in in infinity the the concept of having like more pieces and more orders are tied together um, in which makes things a little more complicated. In other games, they're not necessarily. Um, For instance, in a card game, you're not relying on, uh, you have a number of cards in your hand, Mm -hmm. and you spend those cards, which then also have a cost in terms of time, like the the mana that Ollie was referring to, um, to play. You have to pay a cost to play them. Mm -hmm. Um, And those two are kind of separate resources. So you might efficiently exchange your cards for your opponent's cards and then play a draw spell. You get more cards than they do, and you can win mm-hmm. in that respect. And that's like a right. non tempo way of playing. Or you can make them spend more mana and more turns, more orders, mm-hmm. responding to your plays. And so you get, mm-hmm. you snowball a little bit of a, a momentum lead, even if they have more cards in hand than you. By the end, you know, you just about get them dead at the end. Right. Um, and that's more right. of a, a an explicitly tempo y strategy. Mm-hmm. And in Infinity, I think they blend together a little bit more, which makes this harder to, harder to yeah. analyze because. Mm-hmm. Killing your opponent's stuff also takes away their orders.
0: It does. It does, yeah. So um, comeback mechanics in Infinity can sometimes be a little bit tricky. Um, they're mm-hmm. usually tied to the mission rather than the the kind of aggressive backwards and forwards nature, because um, the aggressive nature of Infinity is that your troops are your orders. So that's rough. Um of course the the difference being infinity replay for different objectives so sometimes you can be massively behind on tempo and basically losing the game but you just happen to do you press the button you need to press and you win anyway um Yeah that's that's actually a really nice pressure valve for for tempo right you can be losing on uh, in an aggressive sense but actually still do the thing um and as long as you do the thing you win the game um yeah. which I quite like actually because it gives you two ways to play
1: Yeah and so we can look at trying to pressure your opponent and outspend them in terms of orders by either forcing them to react to you inefficiently or making efficient trades to kill their stuff um, as the tempo angle. And we can look mm-hmm. at the, uh, the momentum... Oh, sorry. <laughs> we can look at the objective taking as the kind of non-tempo playstyle that the two are in balance of. This is the equivalent right. of in Magic... Accepting a tempo loss in order to est- establish card advantage, where you have mm-hmm. more cards in hand than they do, and so you can win right. by trading. Um, yeah, absolutely, I think the two play out quite differently, but you get—I think—you get the same dynamic of like, am I trying to win the board, or am mm-hmm. I trying to hold off long enough that I win based on some other objective?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, so let's just recap briefly, just to make this a bit more explicit. I guess it's that. So what we're saying is that tempo relates basically to, to most games, actually, I would argue. And in Infinity, we've got different ways of looking at tempo and what's going on, but what we're most commonly talking about is um, how orders are being spent and how the troops are kind of moving around the board and pressuring each other, right? So it's about pressure and orders, really. Um, And we can regulate tempo by doing lots of things, like taking actions, by threatening our opponent, by controlling a zone with reactive presence and and all sorts of other things that either speed up the the pace of play or slow down the pace of play.
1: Yeah, I think we can go through some of those examples in more detail later as well. Because mm-hmm. um, I think each of them is is interesting to look at. But um, I think there's a, there is also one tempo-ish angle that we haven't talked about yet, which is mm-hmm. position. If I have a unit that's really powerful, but it's too far away, it's going to take me more orders to move it back into a place where it can affect the game. Mm -hmm. And so you can get tempo by playing in such a way that your opponent's pieces are out of position, or you can lose tempo by making mistakes and putting your pieces in bad places.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And sometimes in Infinity, you might spend a turn to increase your tempo later. So for example, some people on first turn might just move all of their units up a couple of inches. And that means that they're giving themselves a leg up for turn two. And that means when turn two comes around, they'll be able to make plays quicker.
1: Yes. Yeah, that's a good point. You can, uh, I guess we can maybe come back to this, but um, sometimes in order to make tempo plays, you need to set them up first. Um, mm-hmm. And in order to react to tempo plays, in order to play the reactive game, you often have to take what seems like a proactive action. You have to do something before your opponent Yes. Um, in order to set up for it.
0: Yeah. That's very often the case um and it's a really neat demonstration of actually how powerful some of those reactive um tempo pieces can be um because we uh to give an infinity example, you know nomads play troops like morans, which are troops that start in the middle of the board they have a repeater so you can hack through them um and they also deploy um basically a type of mine instantly um and this is this is so powerful, right? Because it's free tempo, right? You, you start the game with this thing that the opponent has to play around immediately, straight away. Um, even if you don't use them aggressively. So let's, let's think about, um, tempo like in an, in an average infinity list and how it works and like what you're going to be doing, because infinity has quite a unique, um, situation compared to magic in that, Magic decks tend to lean quite heavily into one or the other. You know, you have decks that tend to want to slow the opponent down and decks that want to play the game quite quickly. That's reasonably common in card games. Um, In Infinity, most lists tend to have uh, both elements. Uh, Things that want to make quite quick plays and things that want to slow the opponent down. So in your average Nomads list, uh, you usually see a couple of the Morans that we've already spoken about. So those troops that just get in the way and they're very annoying to play around. Right. And they're going to slow down your opponent's tempo primarily because they are saying to your opponent, you know, if you want to play the game, you have to play around this. And that means wasting orders. Um, But a Nomad's List is also going to run a couple of very aggressive pieces like the Salamandra Tag or um, the Uberful Commando and all sorts of other troops that you can pump orders into turn one, make some very, very big, bold and aggressive plays and start, you know, forcing... Forcing problems into your opponent's face and really speeding that game up. Um, and it's not just nomads that plays this way. If you look at the vast majority of competitive lists, you're going to see this combination of stuff that wants to play quickly and stuff that wants to slow things down um, because it's it's just so important to regulate both aspects of tempo in infinity.
1: Yeah, and I would say that one of the key one of the key things in formulating a winning strategy, in a list like this is to try and use those pieces in a harmonious way. Like if you've Mm -hmm. got half your army just sitting back, not doing anything, holding off, you know, trying to defend one side of the board and you've got another half of your army running at them, Mm -hmm. um, your opponent might be able to basically avoid one side and focus their efforts on the other. So you need to make sure that like you've deployed your defensive position pieces in such a way that, your opponent is forced to, you know, has a Sophie's choice between like respecting your aggressive play, Mm -hmm. um, or avoiding the defensive piece. Like, you know, maybe they can either back away from the tag and run into mines or avoid the mines and leave themselves out in the open for, for the tag or a sniper or something.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And those are some of the most powerful plays you can make, you know. So if you push forward aggressively with a tag on turn one and then back it up so that it ends up next to a repeater and or a mine, then you're basically saying to the opponent, like, you can't just kind of cut my list and deal with just the mine or just the tag. You have to deal with both. Um, And that puts people in a much more difficult position.
1: Yeah. And so this is where... um... So in in Magic, there is is an archetype of deck called a Tempo deck. Uh, Tempo is important for every game of Magic, but there are specific decks that want to thrive on making Tempo plays instead of other types of play. And what Mm -hmm. they typically do is they play some kind of cheap threat and then they protect it. Um, So rather than trying to purely hold off your opponent with defensive cards or Mm -hmm. trying to just run at them, um, you're gonna de- you're gonna deploy a select specific threat that's you know quite reliable, hard to deal with, and very efficient. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're gonna protect that by stopping your opponent from killing it or stopping them from doing their thing for long enough that the tempo piece, the the, the threat kills them. So yep. this is a kind of similar thing where you're doing you're playing aggressively, but also setting up to defend your aggressive play. Yeah, absolutely. and if you pull that off right, it's it's harder. Like there are weaknesses because you know if the tag gets ARO'd, then you've got a bunch of useless mines that your opponent can just ignore. Sure. Um, similarly, if your mines are in a bad position or your opponent removes mm-hmm. them, then you've got one aggressive card, that they, one aggressive model that they can just leave. They can just walk away from it or kill it on their own mm-hmm. on their own terms. Um, so it is risky because getting the two to harmonise is harder than if you just had a fully aggressive army or a fully defensive army. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, And so you need to be sure that when you're... You need to consider exactly how your opponent is going to respond to your threat Mm -hmm. and set up ideally, you know, in deployment, if you've got mines or with snipers and things like that that don't require orders to set this up, but use a minimal number of orders either on attack and then set up a thorough defense or use a min- minimal number of orders on defense and set your attack up such that it is covered by these defenses.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, it's a very difficult way to play the game, but I think it's a very potent way to play the game, you know, because you stack up more and more threats and you basically make it very difficult for your opponent to deal with, um, deal with your play. Um, I think, having a think about what tempo looks like in magic and being familiar with with decks like delver and stuff back in the day (laughs) um a nice archetype in infinity that kind of feels a little bit similar is um is camouflage spam and leaning quite heavily Mm -hmm. on camouflage Um, and the reason for that is they'll typically be camouflage spam lists will typically lean on like a number of semi-cheap-ish threats like in the region of you know, 20 points, something like that, 25. Um, they're typically forward deploying, right? So they attack early, um, they attack quite aggressively, they use their marker states to get in under opponents, because you can't ARO. Um, you, you know, you can't shoot a marker. Yep. Um and then once they're done attacking, you know, killing a couple of pieces, they're gonna pull back and recamouflage so that the opponent cannot shoot them. Um and that's really neat because these kind of plays can, they can get in quick and they can get in early. They're not the most damaging pieces. They're not the most powerful, but, you know, they just do it well and they do it um, without spending, without you having to spend many orders doing so. And then when they pull back, they're a nightmare to answer, right? Because you need one order to discover the camouflage and then another order to shoot the camouflage, typically. Um, and that's that's a really nice parallel. That's That's a demonstration of how something can both... Uh, be very proactive itself, and then also slow down the opponent simultaneously.
1: Yeah, just making it so that, you know, each camo piece is not hard to deal with, but they're right. cheap and there's enough right. of them, such that if you want to kill a whole bunch of random camo idiots, it's going to take your entire turn, yeah. and you'll kill like 60 points of stuff and then die to attack. Yeah. Um, or, you know, leave yourself unable to correctly set up around an objective because you've spent so long trying to deal with. And the, the simple... um. The simple maths of camo is actually a really good illustration of this. One order to activate camouflage, mm-hmm. two orders to discover and kill it.
0: Yeah, right. That, Absolutely.
1: That maths is heavily favorable. You know. Yeah. Obviously, there are other complications, how so much the unit will actually do in itself, whether it dies to mm-hmm. arrows and so on. But yeah, the fact that you have um, this inherent efficiency allows you to leverage that efficiency to waste your opponent's time yeah. trying to deal with a play that is quite proactive yeah because they come with yeah, that definitely. built-in defense they like it's not going actually going to save the unit they're going to be able to kill it on the second yes. go but it yeah. just wastes their time and if you killed something of theirs with it first you know if you trade it on points as well that's super super efficient
0: definitely and it's also worth pointing out as well that if you're doing your job well with the with the camouflage you're hiding it too right so it's mm. one order to move to see the thing um and then another order to discover usually um Probably worth mentioning that, of course, you can discover and shoot a camouflage marker in the same order, but that's only if you already have line of fire. So it's much more common to see someone go move, discover, move, shoot, um, so that they can obviously get over to the camouflage marker, then discover it, then then shoot it. Um, right, yeah, that makes sense. Unless you leave your camouflage marker in line of sight, but people shouldn't be doing that. Don't <laughs> do that.
1: Um, I mean, even then, if you just want to make it so that your opponent can kill it, but they have to not move... That can yeah. be used to, you know, that can provide an advantage in and of itself.
0: Yeah, I, that is actually true. You know, if an opponent spends an order doing a discover shoot, they're not doing a move shoot, you know, and that's, that's something in itself. Um, yeah.
1: And if you just like, if you dodge the shot and they don't kill it, they've just literally spent an order on nothing.
0: Yeah. That's the, that's the great thing about posting up these really disposable, like camouflage pieces. Um it's that bodies are great tempo plays, right? Yeah. Um if the opponent's spending orders shooting you and the mission doesn't reward you for shooting, then they're wasting their time. Um of course if the mission does reward them for shooting, then you need to be a bit more careful.
1: Yeah. Plus you like this is all without the um the fact that they also have to roll to see if they successfully discover. Yeah, so if exactly. they stand still, discover and fail. Yeah. Like what are they going to do do it again
0: well they actually as per the rules they actually can't so that's a catastrophic tempo failure because they cannot you cannot legally discover a target uh twice in one turn if you oh fail. my god
1: so, <laughs> that's amazing. so
0: the, the game's over at that point what basically happens is they then need to spend a bunch of orders moving another unit over to try it again um even better and if that one fails then it's a the third unit that has to come and do it um, because obviously the, the fluff is if they fail to discover, that unit's like, oh, I didn't notice anything. I didn't actually see that um, that camouflage right.
1: thing. Yeah. Oh, it must have um, been, been the wind.
0: <laughs> exactly, right. So so how, how do we play around with tempo in Infinity? We, we use our orders efficiently, right? So we attack with as few orders as possible. That's why people love forward deployment, um, and it's why people love bikes, right? Because both of these units can get to the opponent's stuff quick. Um, we threaten our opponents, we force them to defend, so we might, you know, um, put a big scary tag on one flank and then say, you know, are you going to spend a bunch of orders making sure that I can't attack here or are you going to let me punch my way through? So that that obviously plays around with tempo. Um, we post up AROs, right? Those are tempo plays because you're forcing your opponent to spend orders killing you instead of doing stuff. Um, and that's great for you. Um, Obviously, disclaimer, if you're playing Annihilation, then killing you is doing the mission, so you don't necessarily want to be doing this. Um, and then you might also get temporary plays by just playing the mission, right? If the mission asks you to press a button and you've pressed the button, um, then you're ahead and the opponent's behind. And the opponent then has to say, well, shit, now I need to push that unit off the objective that's defending it and press the button. Um, and that's, that's a really potent thing because you've given them two two things to do, whereas before they might have just had one, uh, you know, just press. Now they have to press and kill you. Yep.
1: And there's also this positional advantage. Um, and we talked a little bit about this, you know, in, in the uh, making a threatening play, forcing your opponent to defend an area that you might attack. Um, similarly, if you can force them to strand their units somewhere, for instance, because you present something that looks like an easy attack and then move, o- move out of the way or mm-hmm. you attack on one side and kind of strand their pieces that they've put on the other side. Um, even something as simple as like not giving a sniper a good shot. Yeah. Um. You know, if you can do that in a way that doesn't cost you anything, you've negated their effort to gain a tempo advantage from that ARO threat or yeah. from forcing you to play around it.
0: Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, it's so what- it's amazing, actually, this positional advantage uh, strategy because it's something that even starts in deployment, right? If I
1: absolutely. put
0: a very strong attacker down in a prominent position, then even in deployment, if my opponent's deploying second, they might put a bunch of their troopers in a very conservative position quite far away from that attacker. And that means I'm potentially winning a tempo battle before I've even spent one single order because I forced you to be inefficient. I forced you to be at the back of your deployment zone, hiding instead of at the front where you can move out and do aggressive things. Um, So deployment can lead to tempo advantages on its own, which is fantastic. It's really, really strong.
1: Absolutely. We can talk about this a bit more in a bit when we come to looking at kind of matchups, but a a lot of these tempo plays Um, can be done with respect to things that haven't happened yet. Mm -hmm. Um, So we've already mentioned defending an area that your opponent might attack or forcing your opponent to defend an area that you look like you're going to attack. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've talked about deployment. Um, Things like, you know, um, the, the game ends on turn three. So you know the objectives need to be handled <laughs> in whatever way they are by yeah. turn three. Both players know that this is free and open information, right? It's not like you've got mm-hmm. a hidden card. that says, "Ah, actually this game ends on turn four. So, yeah. um, you know, that they know that, you know, that they know all of this stuff, right? So if you're setting up a piece on turn one to threaten an objective, your opponent can see that. Um, mm-hmm. and these, these plays can form like a kind of a conversation of, yeah. I'm threatening to on turn three, move this unit two orders forward and press this button. You're going to do anything about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can try and leverage that to, if they kind of do the wrong thing, or if you give them a choice where neither option is good, mm-hmm. um, you can force them to spend orders inefficiently answering things that you haven't even done yet, that they know yeah. that you can do and that they know that you know, that they know that, you know, et cetera. <laughs> yeah. Um, where when you get to that level of competitive play where like both players are aware that each other is you know a good player that's kind of committed to the game is aware of what's going on you get these plays where sometimes neither of you does anything but you're both taking the actions you are taking in respect of the fact so that like well conditions. yeah yeah like we know that this tag kills this other unit really efficiently mm-hmm. so i've put it over there so that if your tag does cross yeah, cross to kill it. it, has to go through the center of the board. So right. walk past my hacker, which will then, and and maybe none of those pieces move anywhere near each other for the entire game. Mm-hmm. But because you know that these things can happen, um, you can use that to force your opponent into suboptimal plays, like yes. having to send their tag all the way around the hacker, for instance,
0: Yeah, absolutely. without ever having
1: moved the hacker or moved the target and yeah. just let them do it um, because it'll net you an, an advantage in the long run.
0: Definitely. I think in high level competitive infinity, um, you exert influence over the board just through virtue of some units existing. Yes. Um, Even if this is, this is the best thing about some factions, even if you haven't actually got those units on the board. Um, and that's because of hidden information in infinity, like camouflage markers and, um, airborne deployments and other things that might deploy later on or reveal themselves later on. um, So that kind of mind game is what makes Tempo and Infinity so fascinating because like, sometimes um, I've seen when I've played Ariadna, for example, um, a faction that's very heavy on combat jumps, so lots of troops that can... Oh, sorry, parachutists, lots of troops that can walk on the side of the board. My opponent will typically um, spend quite a lot of time making sure that their troops are looking at the sides and playing a little bit conservatively so they don't leave big gaps. I might not even be running a parachutist in my list, right? But I've made my opponent waste their time just because of the matchup, um, uh, and that's amazing to me. I just, I, I really appreciate that in games because you're playing, you're playing a game within a game, um, and I just, I think that's really cool.
1: It's one of my favorite and most fascinating things about gaming as a whole, is that that like fourth level of decision making where, well, because this unit exists, you're probably playing this other thing which means I should play this, which means, and so on. It's great. Mm. I love it.
0: And I I actually went on a run about this the other day, and I must say I was probably <laughs> a, a bit too vociferous in my views, but what I was essentially saying is that I, I wholeheartedly believe that the best Infinity players know what's going to happen next turn with a reasonable degree of certainty. Um, yes. Now... A lot of people were saying, you know, infinity isn't deterministic like that. You can't predict that. Well, and like, sure, granted, people have a point. You know, you can't guess with with that much certainty, particularly when there's hidden information in the game. I, I understand. But I am definitely going to be setting up AROs, putting things into suppressive fire and doing certain actions with a view that it is likely that my opponent is going to do certain things.
1: Yes.
0: Um, even if I don't know, I, I think it's at least likely. Um that That is really the essence of tempo, right? At the highest level, I am trying to predict what's going to happen and I'm going to respond to it. And I'm either going to respond to it by putting pressure on you so that you can't do that play in the first place, or I'm going to respond to it um, in a more reactive way um, by perhaps using deployables, mines, ARO pieces, et cetera, et cetera, so that if you do make that play, it becomes inefficient for you. It becomes harder for you.
1: So you said, you said proactive and reactive, which seems like a good segue into our next section. Right. Um, but before we do that, um, do you mind if I just give a summary of what we've talked about so far? Because we've obviously talked yeah. about lots of different, we've said the word tempo a lot. We have. Um, we have. And we've talked about lots of different games. Um, so for, uh, for, you know, especially if anyone's, you know, we, we've, we've talked around it a lot. Um, so if anyone's confused, here's what we've covered so far. <clears throat> tempo is like momentum. In a game, it's like one player having the initiative, Um, usually the person who is doing stuff right now, uh, making aggressive plays or forcing the opponent to respond to them. Um, And there are lots and lots and lots of ways in which you can leverage that concept to your advantage in Infinity or many other competitive games. Um, So we've talked about uh, ways to gain tempo, which is basically to gain more momentum, to gain more initiative in the game, to speed up the game in your favor, uh, if you spend orders more efficiently than your opponent, um, you know, if I spend one order to move a piece up and kill something, and then you spend three orders get, getting rid of my piece, that's an advent. That might be an advantage for me. Um, threatening to attack something. So your opponent has to spend orders defending it. You know, if they have to move their units into a position um, and then you don't even attack they you go and do something else that can give you a tempo lead. AROs, you know, your order, your opponent spends an order. You kill that thing for free with an ARO That's obviously really advantageous for you because they've spent an order and you've spent nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, Threatening or holding objectives in a way that's difficult to deal with. Uh, If I've got, you know, if I've pressed the button, I'm on an objective. I've got a hard to kill unit that's on an objective. You're going to have to spend a bunch of orders getting rid of it in order to take the objective back. That can Mm -hmm. give me a tempo lead because I'm forcing, I'm putting real pressure on your ability to spend your orders efficiently yourself and to make decisions. And then things like having a positional advantage where if you have a bunch of units on one side of the board and I just attack the other side, those units are now maybe stranded. And if you wanted to use them, if any of them were particularly important, um, you'd need to spend orders moving them before they could actually do anything. And so that can give me a tempo advantage there as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think that's a really nice summary. Um, Thank you. And to just just tie it into the the kind of meta at the moment and what a lot of people talk about, I think it's important to highlight... Um, this is why the joke exists in Infinity right now, that turn one is always <laughs> Annihilation. That's The joke exists because <laughs> um, proactive plays on turn one are so good in Infinity because units are linked to orders, right? And therefore, if I spend my first turn killing a bunch of your units before you've even got to spend a single order, you are going into the game with fewer resources than I started with, which is fantastic. But it gets worse. You then have to spend your first turn responding to my attacker before you can do anything, um, and that's why in in this edition of Infinity, we're seeing a lot of early aggression, um, and unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on you know your views, uh, we're seeing a lot of turn one wins or losses. Um, they might not even be uh, actual you know real terms turn one win or loss. You know the game might not end on turn one, but they kind of pseudo are because the opponent spends so much time, so many orders, you know, losing pieces and then um, correcting their mistakes on turn one that the game is kind of pseudo lost at that point, if that makes sense.
1: Absolutely. And that presumably that means it's mega, mega important to deploy in such a way that you are responding to their threat. Because like you said earlier, deployment is free orders. You get to put your units wherever you want, set up whatever AROs, whatever lines of fire you want, and it doesn't cost you anything. So mm-hmm. in order to head off being out-tempoed, being run over like this, you mm-hmm. need to deploy in such a way that if your opponent wants to make their aggressive plays, they're going to be spending orders into a bunch of AROs. Yeah. And maybe although they'll kill some stuff, you'll kill a in amount of their things and you won't be super right. far behind on the first turn. Or you yeah, just avoid absolutely. their aggressive options entirely. They just have to walk forward a bit and then you get to do the same thing back to them.
0: Yeah, I think... I mean, the reactive metagame at the moment is really, really fascinating because what I tend to be seeing I can't speak for everyone, but what I see is a lot of people that deploy most of their stuff hidden, right? So that whoever goes first doesn't have any free targets, but they also deploy a lot of things covering lateral fire lanes across the deployment zone so that if the opponent does get aggressive and walk into the deployment zone, they've got a lot of pieces that can suddenly all ARO together. Um, So Hmm. it's this kind of... Uh, very well-structured, strong, reactive um, deployment that also doesn't give any easy cross-board targets, right? Because you don't want your opponent to move their HMG and say, I'll shoot you from across the board and that, you know, that's it and you die. Um, that sucks.
1: Now, <laughs> sure does.
0: I know that I, I keep having this discussion and a lot of people argue that, you know, there are still some strong ARO pieces out there, Um I mean, cross-board ARO pieces like snipers and things like that. And there definitely are. I agree with that. You know, there are a couple of very strong options, but we're definitely in an addition of the game now where tags are very common and heavy infantry are very common and the active turn is strong. Um, So Hmm. um, I tend to see a lot of people hiding their stuff, but covering those short angles into deployment. So the opponent gets no free shots, but if they do get a little bit too feisty, you suddenly bring out everything that you've got on them.
1: That makes sense. So you, you hide and you protect the flanks. Is that exactly. That
0: yeah, yeah, essentially. Um, you you concede you can quite a lot of ground, but you hold just enough to make sure that you'll get through.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. So should we go on to talking about uh, who's the beatdown?
0: Yeah, let's talk about that article.
1: Let's talk okay. about that, yeah. So in, in 1999, a Magic player called Mike Flores uh, published a now seminal and very famous article called Who's the Beatdown? Um, at the time, Magic was. So, Ma- Magic the Gathering was uh, launched in 1993. Um, so, it's a little bit younger than like Warhammer. Um, it's still probably older than most war games still. Uh, mm-hmm. Most, you know, uh, not like military war games, but most, most hobby war games. Yeah. Um, and Magic, very much at the time, was also in a period of strategic infancy. People didn't really know how to play it well. Uh, certainly not in the way that even casual competitive folks do now. Um, Who's the beatdown was about which player should be taking the proactive play, basically playing for tempo, trying to win quickly, and which player should be taking the reactive line. Um, and he called these the beatdown and the control. Um, and the thesis of the article was essentially that, uh, as, as Ollie mentioned earlier, in, in Magic, some matchups are very obvious. There are aggressive decks that are literally all send by tag down the flank on turn one you just Mm -hmm. play threats and you hit them in the face and you hope you win um and you know there's more nuance to playing them than that makes it sound but Mm -hmm. broadly they they are always trying to win quickly before your opponent gets off the ground and then there are hard control decks that literally just play answers um, and then some of those answers will be stapled to cards that eventually win the game Uh, and your plan is to basically just drag out the game kill your opponent's stuff draw cards survive, 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 survive. And then eventually, when they have nothing left, you can win with whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the those, those matchups are very obvious. If I'm playing an aggro deck and you're playing a control deck, well, the aggro deck is going to be making proactive plays and the control player is going to be making reactive plays. And yeah. those are very straightforward. But the article talked about the gray areas when the two decks are very similar, two aggro decks facing off, two control decks facing off, or two decks that are in the middle facing off, what's called mid-range decks in Magic. Um, which are much more like the lists you get in Infinity, where they're more balanced. They have some proactive stuff, mm-hmm. some reactive stuff, and they want to play in such a way that they can adapt to the matchup and the board state. So, right, you right. know, against an aggro deck, a mid range deck is going to take a more controlling role. And against a control deck, a midrange deck is going to take a more aggressive role. But against another mid range deck, well, who knows? It really depends. Right. It depends on what cards are drawn, who's going first, what plays are made, and details of, of each player's list. And I would say that the same thing applies to infinity where, because most of the armies are not particularly skewed one way or the other, mm-hmm. um, it's going to really come down to who's going first. What's it, what actually is happening, how the die rolls turn out, the decisions that each player makes mm-hmm. and um, the, the exact models that you each have. And in those situations, um, Flore's, Flores' thesis in his article is basically that, if you are in a close situation like this and you misidentify whether you are the beatdown or the control and start playing the wrong role, you're going to lose. Because if you try and take the control against an opponent that's actually got more, uh, what's called inevitability than you like, actually, if the game goes on, they're probably going to win because they have this this particular card that you can't deal with or they have a mm-hmm. particular play style that is hard for you to answer efficiently, um, then you're going to lose. And similarly, if you, if you try and play the beatdown when your opponent's faster than you, Mm-hmm. Um, you're also going to struggle. So whether or not you correctly identify which role you're in and which can change matchup to matchup, moment to moment, turn to turn, um, and, you know, draw to draw, in infinity in Infinity's case, die rolls. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you fail to kill something, you get ARO'd. That maybe changes the game massively on the spot. Yeah, right, right. Um, and so you need to be able to identify whether you should be making proactive plays being the beatdown or reactive plays, defensive plays being the control at any given moment.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and as you were saying, this is so critical because, you know, if I misidentify that I'm, the more I have the more aggressive list in a situation and I push into my opponent's heavy infantry and actually I'm not quite strong enough to kill them, I've, I've um, in magic turns, I've time-walked myself. I've I <laughs> skipped my turn. I've done nothing. Um, yep. If I misidentify that I'm playing control, so maybe I think that I can outlast my opponent, that they're not going to have enough punch to get through me and that I can stop them, and then they walk a tag through the middle of the board and none of my arrows do anything... I've again. I've done nothing, and I'm going to lose the game. Um, so, being able to spot which plays are more potent is how you play a, a proper infinity game. Essentially, posting up aros that are not going to waste the opponent's time and not going to kill the opponent's pieces do neither of those two things. It is a waste of it's a waste of your turn. Um, pursuing aggressive plays that aren't going to manage to kill the opponent's pieces or particularly bother them and might even die to AROs on the way in. Again, waste of your time. So this article, Who's the Beatdown?, is basically saying, like, turn to turn, order to order. You need to be asking yourself, like, what's the the most potent kind of tempo stance that I can take? Is my stance going to be more proactive or is my stance going to be more reactive?
1: It's also worth noting that even if a play works that doesn't necessarily mean that it was right. Like in your example of the tag, there's kind of an obvious case that you covered where, you know, the tag runs into the middle of the board, The opponent is set up defensively for it. They don't kill it. um, Mm. And now they're going to, you know, they've they've wasted a bunch of time. There's a more insidious case where they do kill it, but they have to spend like five orders, putting pieces into position to get arrows, to get like a couple wounds on it. And then, in their turn, they have to commit a shot from their sniper and then another shot because the first one didn't work. And now mm. you've spent seven orders removing this thing that spent, that got three kills. Yeah. Um, well, you have removed it, but you've lost three orders to it and spent seven orders getting rid of it. That's yeah, terrible. Absolutely. Yeah, it's right? really so- bad. Yeah. The next, on their next, you know, the, your next turn, on their next turn, the opponent's going to do the same thing again with their other, you know, with whatever their next best attacker is, right? With They're their second t- tag. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, even it could be anything at that point because you've spent like basically an entire turn dealing with one thing and they've still yeah. got nine orders left. And so they just take a random shit remote and mm-hmm. barrel it down the middle and kill some, kill your lieutenant. You're like, oh, well, <laughs> now I've just lost the game.
0: Yeah, well, shit. Absolutely. Um, and so sometimes sometimes you might think well my opponent's got this big scary piece right so i have to play reactively to stop it but if you can't feasibly stop it then maybe actually counterintuitively you need to play proactively what if you went around the tag right and killed some of the opponent's weaker pieces put the tag on the back foot so it has fewer orders and it's maybe surrounded you know perhaps it has aro pieces both in front and behind it um that's probably going to be a much more effective play than spending your entire time killing that tag and doing nothing else. I I would personally say. So sometimes when it looks like you should be proactive, but actually you don't... Sorry, that was wrong. If it looks like you should be reactive, but you don't quite have the resources to stop something, maybe the answer is to be proactive, go around the threat that you can't deal with and strip some orders or do something else. Um, Absolutely. I guess... Really, this boils down to like pursue either the proactive or the reactive strategy that's most likely to be efficient. I guess that's kind of it. Like, What's your most efficient play, really? Um, Yeah. And here we're measuring efficiency in number of orders and number of troops. If you... Yeah, I guess that's most of Infinity, really.
1: Have you played the board game Wingspan?
0: I actually haven't played it. No, I've looked at it, but not played it.
1: So in Wingspan, you have action points and there's four rounds and in each round you have a a, you start with eight action points and then it diminishes each round so it's eight seven Mm -hmm. six five which is a total of what is that 26 so in wingspan you have 26 turns period Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think the infinity is about the same right like let's say you start with 10 orders you lose a couple things you have like maybe seven or eight orders on turn two Mm -hmm. and then i don't know six orders on turn three yeah so you have 24 orders, for the sake of argument, for the entire game. So you have 24 turns in infinity yeah, absolutely. in an entire match. So if you can, not only is preserving the efficiency of those orders super important, but also you can start to think ahead to the point where you're allocating orders at the start of the game, right? <laughs> you can think, okay, my turn one? I can afford to spend. I need to put this in, this here, and this here, so I can afford to spend eight orders on my tag, or I can afford to spend eight orders setting up to protect this objective. Yeah, yeah. Next turn, well, once I'm in this position, um, I can afford to spend another four orders trying to kill the thing, or another four orders moving and, and counter-attacking this area or something. Mm-hmm. And you, you obviously don't know exactly what your opponent's going to do, and you know right. they might know that you're. They can. They can probably tell what you're thinking if they're good enough based on how you're playing. Right, if you start setting up to defend the middle of the board, your opponent's going to go, "Oh, they're setting up to defend the middle of the board." I guess I'll go do something else. Mm-hmm. So you need to make sure that that is effective, right? And you know, again, if you if you miss a sign, if you decide I'm going to play reactively because my opponent has to come through this bit of the board, right? And you're wrong, then you get massively punished. You do, but you can think ahead and make a rough guess at like like you were saying earlier, a rough guess at how the following turn and even the, the final turn is going to go. Because it's only a three-turn game. It's really short. Yeah. And at some point, yeah. you have to press the buttons that let you win. Um, and so you can think about, okay, if can I afford to spend seven orders attacking here? Or can I afford to spend seven orders setting up here? Five orders setting up here? Three orders setting up. Can I afford this deployment, right? If I deploy yeah. this on the left instead of the right, is that going to cost me too much? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have to be aware that this is, you have to be, ready for this to change over the course of the game. It might change the very, you know, you're like, okay, I can spend one order getting my sniper to kill their, I don't know, their hacker. You miss right now. What you need to replan.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's that's why I think it's actually really, um, really well. good. Good. Isn't quite the right word. Um, That's why I think it's really interesting that infinity is a dice game because you allocate orders to do certain things. You know, if you're a good player, you might think, well, you know, I need, two to kill this thing and then like two to walk up and one to press this button, for example, you know, what if suddenly something takes four orders? Okay. Do you plan B or are you playing the best line that you possibly can? You have to keep pursuing that line. Um, your plan has to change moment to moment because we can all do some pocket maths, but you know, statistics are statistics, even if something's, you know, 80% likely that does mean one in five times it fails. Absolutely. Um, that's why I find infinity so entertaining because you have to keep changing changing your strategy moment to moment. Um oh and I was gonna say something, but I can't remember what it was. Oh, that's irritating.
1: <laughs> um, well, let um, me know if you if you think of it. I can uh Yeah. I can go on with so that there's one interesting um, Oh sorry, I thought on, of it. Yeah, yeah, go for it. I apologise. Um
0: <laughs> Yeah, so Actually, just to just to really hone in on the thing you were saying about the maximum number of actions you get per game, obviously, uh, Infinity right now is capped to 15-unit lists, right? So uh, on the face of it, if they're all regular, that's a maximum of 45. That's 15 times 3, essentially. Yeah. Um, you're obviously going to lose some units, so you're not going to go 15, 15, 15. You probably <laughs> go, I don't know, 15, 12, 9, or perhaps if you have a catastrophic turn, 15, 10, 7, maybe. Yeah. Um, you might have a lieutenant as well. So, okay, maybe 48 if you spend that lieutenant order three times, although that's often risky because losing your lieutenant is awful. Um, so I think that is what you were saying about the number of moves you get per game is so true because one of the first competitive articles I wrote about Infinity is this idea of like, think about um, the fact that in an in, in your average M4 game, you probably have about 45 moves, essentially. Um Yeah. If you decide to do a thing that takes you ten moves instead of doing a thing that should have taken you five moves, you you pick the less efficient play, then you're you're throwing your moves down the drain and you're just I, I guess on some level you're just not doing as much as your opponent, and that's a bad thing in very basic terms.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I think that I think that's really interesting. Um I I think most war games, now that I think of this, can be looked at in a similar lens. Like mm-hmm. You know, not every war game has a strict turn limit, but you still have, you know, your maximum number of actions is like number of turns times number of pieces. Yeah. Minus whatever dice. I would also suggest that if you do manage to spend 15 orders, three turns in a row, you probably don't need the contents of this podcast because you have already won (laughs) that game. (laughs) You've you've won. You're doing well. Things are all right. Why was there a turn three? Why did your opponent not concede? These are interesting questions.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um... I think one thing that we wanted to talk about was this idea of the gray areas and crossovers because sometimes a play can be both proactive and reactive at the same time. Um, And even how a play can look superficially like one type of play but actually be another. So something might look proactive but actually be reactive. Um, Yes. So I was talking to you about how setting up an ARO piece might look like a reactive play, something that drags the game out. But it might not necessarily be so. It could be a proactive play. So, for example, if I move a troop up that just has a template weapon, so it can't it can't actively oppose you in face-to-face roles, it just puts down the template, and I put it outside your deployment zone, it's probably not going to slow you down, actually. All I'm doing is guaranteeing a trade, probably. So I'm going to put my template down on something, and you're going to shoot me, and we're both going to kill each other at the same time. That's quite likely. Um if i'm bad at the game i'd do it on a heavy infantry and maybe strip one wound and die in return which is a terrible idea (laughs) but but the point is that actually sometimes you can set up aros that aren't necessarily very reactive they don't really slow your opponent down they're just there to do more damage right you're trading your pieces Mm. away just to do more damage and that's actually proactive because you're forcing the game to a quicker conclusion that game's going to be less long than it would have been had you not done that with that troop
1: yes speeding things up I think there's also, that that ties into like the notion of risk as well. Um, I think we can cover that in a second. Um, I think that there's one thing that's important to note is that like regardless of whether you're playing proactively or reactively, um, killing your opponent's stuff like efficiently is always good. That is kind of where the biggest overlap is. Like regardless of whether you're like, I am purely defensive or I am purely aggressive if if you're playing purely aggressively, you've pushed your tag into the middle of the board, and your opponent sticks their head out of a piece of cover, and the tag kills them with an ARO. That's great, right? That's still great for you. And yeah. similarly, you know, you can have a sniper covering a file in while you're playing aggressively because it's infinity. You don't have to have all your pieces moving. You can have one piece be your entire aggressive thing, while your other pieces sit around and provide AROS, um, and maybe even play like we said earlier. You know, you get that sort of. Um, Combined arms thing, where you you have some proactive and some reactive individual pieces that can still fit into an overall proactive or overall reactive strategy, Mm -hmm. turn to turn. Um, So you're kind of like, don't think that just because, well, I mean, I'm I'm playing aggressively this turn. I'm moving towards my opponent and trying to kill their stuff. That doesn't mean you can't also get value out of AROS. You don't have to ignore that. Um, You're not obliged to only play aggressively. Only take your turn actions and similarly you can be yeah. be reactive by trying to surgically remove individual pieces mm-hmm.
0: yeah definitely um, um and actually i i was having a discussion with another very very talented uh, infinity player a couple of weeks ago who gave a similar piece of advice, which is that um, when you build your list, you probably have in mind what's going to be proactive and what's going to be reactive, right? So you'll have your arrow pieces in and you'll have your attackers in. Mm. Um, don't, don't stick to these labels firmly, right? That sniper that you posted up to slow your opponent down, maybe if you're playing a bad game and your other stuff is dead, maybe that's a fine aggressive piece. Um, yeah, don't... Purely think through the lens of one angle and don't say, you know, this is my ARO troop and it's never going to move. Perhaps you're in a position where you are ahead and uh, moving that troop forwards and pushing it with it might be more effective than just kind of doing nothing. You know, that yeah. happens as well. Um, so don't just think to yourself, um, don't think in terms of rigid roles, because quite often in Infinity, that um, stuff can turn its hand to multiple different things.
1: I think one thing that separates, and I'm not saying that I've reached this level, but I I think one thing that separates good or competent competitive players of of games generally from the great ones is great ones have uh, an incredible ability to find when it's right to do something weird, when it's correct Mm -hmm. to move the sniper and push an objective button with it, when it's correct to hide your tag, when it's correct to not infiltrate your camo unit, even though you yeah, could, absolutely. that sort of thing. When it, when it's right to spend an order on something that looks inefficient but has a knock-on effect that pays off.
0: Yeah, I think the more flexibly you can approach the game, um, the more likely you are to land on the line of play that's most efficient. Essentially. Yeah. Um,
1: and when and you're learning, it's oh, sorry, go on.
0: Well, I was just going to say, great players often, you know, think along those lines, and they're more creative, essentially.
1: Mm. And when you're learning, it's super worth trying stuff. Like you can ask online and, you know, if you go on Reddit and you say, oh, well, is it good to hide my tag? And people will be like, no, go and kill stuff with it. It's your tag. It's awesome. Um, And those kind of conventional community wisdoms can provide good heuristics because, you know, this is what that unit is usually for. Mm -hmm. Um, But especially when you're just practicing, try stuff, see what happens. Like, okay, if I had my tag, did that work out? Why? What happened in the game and like, can I attribute things, especially, you know, it might have effects that you're not able to personally determine yet, right? There might be weird consequences of the play that you haven't foreseen that maybe someone else can help you unpick, but at least have a go at thinking, well, okay, how did the game turn when I did this compared to when I did the other thing, when I did the conventional thing? How did this make, how did this change the the way the game's played?
0: Yeah, definitely. Like um, one of the things that I like to talk to people about is that, uh, if you actually withhold your ARO pieces in the early game and only put them up on the later turns, a really interesting thing happens where they tend to become disproportionately more effective because the opponent's stuff is dead, right? So my ARO piece that might waste one or two orders when the enemy's HMG is alive is far more effective when the enemy's HMG is dead and they can't actually kill it. Like <laughs> So sometimes... Um yeah. just playing in different ways can lead you to find these like quite strange and, and new consequences that will allow you to respond better to things and like just play different games and surprise people. That's worth worthy mentioning in itself. Surprising people is um is also quite a good thing to be doing.
1: Yeah. I mean, even just in your example, there's also if you can put your ARO piece somewhere that doesn't look like it makes sense and your opponent's like, Oh, I can deploy safely in this other area because the ARO isn't looking at it, Mm -hmm. Um, and then you just move and set up in a place that suddenly makes the deployment look quite bad when they weren't expecting you to, that can be really powerful. It does have a cost. You're spending orders on it, but that can still be really powerful. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So just to sum up this section, I guess, what we're really saying is that there was this article published a very long time ago, and it was saying that you really need to be looking at any given game state and making a decision about whether you want to be playing more proactively or reactively. If you pick wrong, there are some quite severe consequences because essentially (laughs) what you're going to be doing is that you're going to be making inefficient plays. Essentially that that's it really. Um, Yep. And so in Infinity, this really just means you need to look at your opponent's list and like what troops they're they're playing and maybe have a rough idea of what they're going to do on turn one and maybe a rough idea of turn two, et cetera, et cetera, just so you have an idea of what's going to happen. Um, and some very small differences in the game can kind of tip the scales one way or the other, you know, an order that you were reasonably certain should have succeeded but didn't succeed. Well, that that's interesting because then you need to think, am I am I using the right strategy here or do I need to kind of U-turn and start doing something else? Um, and, and that's it really. That's, that's kind of what we're talking about in terms of tempo. Um, thinking about what's going to happen, responding to that, but also being flexible enough to change plans if stuff changes.
1: Absolutely. I think there's, a, there's an interesting, um, I guess like mindset quirk that comes into this as well. So I would say that proactive plays have more visible and immediate risk so mm-hmm. if, I, if I send my tag into the middle of the enemy team, well, it's going to get shot at a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it dies, maybe it doesn't die. Um, especially, you know, this goes double if I'm using a sniper against a heavy infantry unit, or mm-hmm. I'm using, you know, I'm sending in a squishier attacker, like a Spatsnaz or something, which might just die in uh-huh. one hit if uh, my opponent high rolls me. Um, it looks riskier. Mm-hmm. And that means that when proactive plays don't work, it can be quite embarrassing. You're like, "Man, I just fed my 35 point unit to nothing." Yeah. Yeah. Control play has more long-term risk. If you play too reactively, um you can let your opponent have a lot more freedom than you intend because yes. If you set up and you're defending a slightly wrong area or defending an area too much or whatever, you can give them a lot of space um inadvertently and you also may- need to make sure that you've actually accurately assessed how much damage they can do and answered that and no more because if you overdo it you spend too many orders and if you underdo it they're going to kill you anyway and you're going to finish the match going man I had all this stuff but like they high rolled and killed my thing and then they killed this other thing and they moved it it feels unfair and you Mm -hmm. it's very easy for proactive plays to make you feel bad about what you did and control Mm -hmm. play to make you feel bad about like how the game went how the die rolls Mm -hmm. went how your opponent played Um, and there's, there's a certain, I, you see this in magic and I've done this myself. There's a certain psychological tendency towards playing reactively because it's safer or feels safer. Yeah. yeah. But what you need to be aware of is that if you run a piece of them, having done the maths and, you know, like Ollie said earlier, you get the wrong side of the statistics, you get that one in five, your thing dies. You didn't make a mistake. You got punished by RNG, but that's literally what die rolls are for for adding uncertainty to otherwise Mm -hmm. actions that are otherwise completely in your control. If you take the controlling play and it doesn't work out, that might still mean you you might underestimate how much of a mistake you made or how much um, you miss, how much you underestimated your opponent's potential. Um, And so you need to be able to strike that balance between like, it is right for me to make a proactive play and I accept the risk of failing versus, Mm -hmm. I'm confident that it is right for me to make the controlling play because I think the proactive play is unfavorable or I think I can get mm-hmm. strong value out of this control play here. And be aware of when when your control play doesn't work, Be try and be aware of why. Like, did you overcommit to it? Did you undercommit to it? Sometimes, yeah, okay, it'll just be because they high-rolled an 80% thing that, it was, you know, well, thing that was 80% favorable to you. But most of the time, you could have done something about that. And sometimes the right thing to do is ignoring it entirely and running at them instead.
0: Yeah. Yeah, sometimes it is. Um,
1: I guess the flip so, side... Of, oh, God, sorry.
0: Well, I was just going to quickly talk about the heuristic that you get quite a lot in Infinity Missions right now, which is that a lot of Infinity Missions score at the end of the game. Um, and that means the person who has first turn is going to be behind on objectives because... Well, <laughs> let's, let's make this clear. The person that plays second gets the last action in the game. Right? So they have a massive advantage because they just need to do enough to take the win away from the person that went first. So let's say person that goes first finishes the game with one button press. A person who goes second just needs to take that button away from the opponent. Then they instantly win. Right, on the spot, they just win the game. That's it. Yeah. So um, very strong, uh, reactive... Uh, potentially reactive power goes to the second player because you don't necessarily need to push that hard. You just need to correct the the thing that the first player did. And that's it. That's the game. That means that the first player often needs to take a lot of, um, a lot of proactive plays to stop this from happening. And you can do that by diminishing the opponent's resources so that when turn three rolls around, they don't actually have a turn, which, which can happen. Um, but also remember that the first player gets to kill the opponent's stuff before they spend any orders. So they get that proactive advantage. So second player often, not always, but often has the mission advantage um, and the first player often has the tempo advantage in uh, the proactive tempo advantage anyway. Um, so you get your proactivity and you get your reactivity.
1: Yeah, in, uh, in Magic, we call this the equivalent of mission advantage. We call it inevitability, which mm. is the idea that like, if I have a card in my deck that you just can't beat, for whatever reason, like just a really powerful card that you, you don't have a good answer to. Then once I draw that card, assuming I'm not just dead, I'm going to win eventually. Yeah, yeah. Um, which suggests that for you playing a controlling game is bad, right? Playing a reactive mm-hmm. game can be, can be negative on the flip side. There are certainly, there are then, you know, if I get off to a really good start, maybe you just have to assume, okay, I need to outlast this and I'm just going to hope that I can, I can win on resources or win on, uh efficient trades enough that either you never draw the powerful card and mm-hmm. i win anyway or i can deal with it in some level you know i can i can race it when it comes out mm-hmm. um and that mission advantage i think is similar like it is natural for the second player to want to protect themselves from the first player's ability to kill their stuff on turn one mm-hmm. and also for them to lean on that ability to have the final say on objectives, to not feel too obliged right. to push up and take the middle of the board. But mm-hmm. um that's only, you know, that that biases one way or the other, but it still really depends on the actual game state, where you deploy, mm-hmm. what units you're playing, and so on. Yeah. Um yeah. Like, for instance, the first player might use their first turn to move up and get into a really strong defensive position. So yes. the second yeah. player now has, yeah, they have all their orders, they have the option to come forward, but... First player is so well entrenched that it's going to be really difficult for them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the first player actually has a complete tempo advantage because not only can they be uh, proactively efficient by getting into the enemy deployment zone, removing orders and, and trying to do that kind of play, they can actually also take a very strong reactive advantage by using suppressive fire and setting up the right pieces and basically saying that when the second player's turn rolls around, they're not going to get to push forwards. Because when they when they do try and push forwards, they're going to meet such overwhelming resistance in certain areas of the board that it's just not viable. Um, and so when one player has an I win card or an I win button, and in Infinity, we can sometimes think of second turn objectives as an I win button because you just get this thing that says, you know, if you take the last action, you, you could well win the game. Um, that means that the person playing first just has to play around tempo really, really well. They need to... Um, decide whether they're going to uh, stop the opponent from moving, essentially, or move so overwhelmingly themselves that the game just ends. You know, yeah. and then that last turn doesn't really happen, essentially.
1: Yeah, I I agree. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I also I forgot what it's called. Oh yeah, in most most games, uh, the player going first has some kind of advantage because they're going first. So most Mm -hmm. games have some kind of mechanic that balances that. Um, For instance, in a lot of card games, you draw an extra card if you're going second. Um, And that means you're still behind on tempo, but you're ahead on resources, naturally positioning you as a player who will be advantaged by playing reactively. And again, Mm -hmm. it's still if you're an aggro deck going second, you're still going to play proactively against a control deck who's going first. Mm -hmm. Um, But in a closer matchup, um, it really it does help tilt the balance one way or the other. Yeah. Um, in Infinity, I would say that that mechanic is AROs. You know, if you're going first and your opponent has a strong ARO piece that you can't easily ignore or deal with, um, that they've already set up for free, that can flip this flip the the, the the script around. I mean, it kind of sounds like the meta at the moment doesn't really favor that, but certainly my experience of playing Infinity personally, like the few games I've played, which haven't quite been, you know, I haven't played like the most recent patch as well, the most recent edition. Um, certainly in my experience of playing it, I've found that having a strong ARO set up can really overcome that going second, that disadvantage of yeah. going second because like, yeah, if I've definitely. got a tanky ARO that you can't really deal with that's going to get lots of free kills... I may as well be going first, right? (laughs) My turn is just your turn.
0: (laughs) That's true. Um, And also, you know, even if the meta changes away from what I'd call hard arrows, and what I mean by hard arrows are like literal troops that are posted up to take shots at things. um, There's always a meta based around soft and medium arrows. And when I say soft arrows, I mean things like mines, so quite disposable arrows. It might right. still waste your opponent's time. They might still kill the odd trooper if you're lucky, um, but you just don't need to risk as much. So there's there's always a reactive meta of some kind. Um, it just depends on what that looks like,
1: if that makes yeah. sense. Um, so you're saying like sometimes it's like, okay, I have this fire team of five idiots and they're all looking down at the objective and sometimes it's mm-hmm. having mines and sometimes cannons. Yeah, I.
0: exactly. Um,
1: sometimes it's having...
0: You know, oh, at the moment for, for lots of people now, it's hacking. That's that's a really nice ARO because obviously hacking doesn't need line of fire to go off, right? So you hide behind a wall. When the opponent pushes their heavy infantry up, you brick the heavy infantry as a reaction for free and the opponent's turn is ruined and they cry and hacking is overpowered. Um, <laughs> and, but... Uh, I guess I, what I'm saying is that like, there are lots and lots and lots of ways of playing reactively and slowing your opponent down. It doesn't have to be that sniper on a rooftop. It could be a hacker. It could be a mine. It could be a fake camouflage marker that's not really hiding anything important at all that the opponent goes, oh, I better play around that. Um, yeah. You know, there are lots and lots of ways of doing this.
1: could be the threat of something dropping into their deployment zone on turn two that right. you don't even have. Yeah. Or, it, it could you
0: know, you even literally... Else. As you said, exactly. It could be deploying a 14-order list and saying, ah, I've got 14 people, and your opponent goes, well, shit, um, what's the 15th? <laughs> um, you know, um, so there's a, there's a lot of like really interesting reactive stuff that you can do, um, even mm-hmm. if some of it costs you nothing, literally nothing, like uh, like taking a 14-order list. Um, yeah. I guess it costs you an order, I suppose.
1: If all your Hopefully. units are better, that doesn't have to be a problem, yeah. right?
0: Yeah. Um. So I guess just to sum up, like what does proactivity look like in Infinity? Well, we spend our orders on aggressive plays. We push into the objectives or we push into our opponent's troops. Um, we put threats in a position where our opponent has to pay some kind of cost to answer them or to ignore them. Right. So they either need to kill that piece or they need to move around it. Um, and that's, that's really important because we're just taking options away from our opponent. Um, And we can also start to anticipate what our opponent's probably going to do, and we're going to take actions to minimize their effectiveness. So just do things that they struggle against. And that's being proactive, right? We're putting our opponent into quite a difficult position. Yeah. Um, In terms of reactive things, we might be spending our orders a bit more cautiously and perhaps setting up uh, perhaps hard AROs, so snipers overlooking certain fire lanes. But it could also be things like repeaters that extend our hacking range, or it could be mines, just stuff that slows your opponent down. Um, Reactively, we might also be moving up to take early objectives so that we're not necessarily opposing the opponent, but we're making them have more jobs to do to win the game, right? So if you imagine at the start of the game, you might have a tick box that says, um, to win this game, I need to press this button, what we could do is press a couple more buttons and then the opponent's tick boxes go to, Oh, okay. Actually I now need to press two buttons to win or I need to press three buttons to win. Um, and if we keep adding to that list, then what we're doing is we're making the opponent like get more and more behind essentially. Um, so just by holding or defending an objective being reactive like that, we are still doing relevant things. Yeah. Um,
1: I would note that the act of taking the objective is more mm -hmm. proactive but it sure. enables this reactive playstyle where absolutely you you position something and then you sit on it. It's exactly. like the yeah. if we if we go all the way back to the the kind of the Magic the Gathering aggro control example I gave <sighs> earlier on of like the tempo deck where you put a threat down, mm-hmm. you do one proactive thing and then you just prevent your opponent from answering it for the entire game. Yeah, that's kind of a uh, maps onto that a little bit.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There can be there can be a really nice proactive reactive flip, right? Mm. So you might say. Turn one, proactive. Get out. Press the buttons. Do this objective. Now I can be reactive because I'm winning, right? Absolutely. So I'm just gonna just gonna make my opponent be a little bit behind, and then I'm gonna cover the objectives and make their lives uh, a misery. Um, and that's that's often a very effective thing to do.
1: Set on my inevitability, right? Sorry, yeah, you, were, you were talking about other things that reactive yeah. plays um reactive don't,
0: let's let's not discount uh just taking cover and denying attacks as a reactive play and that's a very very common uh i'm playing second strategy i'm just going to take cover and i'm going to make it so that my opponent's first turn isn't relevant right because then then they can't get aggressive they can't strip orders and having the first turn advantage goes away um yep. again we need to just note that it depends on the mission if it's an objective based mission they could just press buttons instead and and, and win that way um but whereas if it's an aggressive mission then hiding is fantastic because you've taken away the entire point of the the mission um we could uh put our troops in a position where the opponent has to pay a hefty cost to um to cross past them or to to traverse that area so for example camouflage can be quite a nice reactive playstyle because your opponent doesn't know what the camouflage is hiding so they might invest a lot of resources discovering that marker or perhaps cautious moving around it or taking some other angle. Um, and we might even be able to do that for free with a skill like infiltration. We could even deploy a troop in a dangerous spot for our opponent. So we've spent nothing except for the points to take that troop. And then our opponent has to spend orders to get around it. Um, and then I guess anything that comes under the broad heading of countering the opponent's play. So for example, um, your opponent takes a tag, they deploy the tag, you spend turn one deploying a repeater next to the tag, but you don't actually kill it. Well, that means that when the opponent's turn comes around, they have to kill the repeater before they move the tag or you get free, free reactions, um, which is very, very powerful because you get to potentially threaten your opponent's stuff without really doing anything. Um, and your opponent has to pay a tax for that. They have to get rid of that repeater so that you cannot do it.
1: Yeah, or more certainly putting putting the repeater next to where you think the tag will go. Yeah. Or the example you gave earlier of like, you know, deploying in a really safe position and then covering the flanks, anticipating that, well, my opponent's counter to this is going to be to flank so that they have actual lines of fire.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I guess all we're really saying is that Think about what you could be doing to speed the game up if you feel like you've got a good aggressive advantage. Um, And if you don't feel like you've got a good aggressive advantage, what could you do to slow the game down? Um, And sometimes there are counterintuitive answers to this. Sometimes you might slow the game down by pushing into your opponent, potentially. Um, Let's say if you put a dude into suppressive fire, you know it will take a couple of orders to dislodge them. Perhaps that could be... Uh, a traditionally aggressive thing but it actually like lowers the tempo of the game. Um
1: yeah, just so bogging just, them down yeah. without expecting them to be without actually necessarily taking a huge risk.
0: Yeah. Yeah, precisely. Um uh and I guess that's kind of it really, isn't it? Is there is there anything else that you'd like to to add?
1: I think we've covered everything we uh had mm-hmm. notes for. Just yeah. double check. Um yeah, I guess to probably tie the two together, um, so we, we spent the first roughly half of this talking about tempo specifically, and then we talked about mm-hmm. proactive and reactive plays and who's the beatdown. Yeah. The reason these concepts are so interlinked um, is that proactive plays are usually taken by the player who is who has a tempo lead or kind of require a tempo lead to make them effectively. Mm-hmm. Like, if, you're, if your opponents run at you and you're super behind, you're like... Well, I've lost a couple of pieces, but my job now is to send you know to spend my orders on my tag attacking them. A lot of the time that's going to be disadvantageous. And yes. you know, sometimes it is advantageous and that's where who's the beatdown comes in. It's about identifying those situations where it is right to go, Well, my opponent's run at me and they've killed some stuff, but it's mm. still more effective, it's gonna be more efficient if I do the same thing back, even in the dis mm. even on the, the back foot.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um,
1: and then similarly when you've got a tempo lead, if you want to play reactively, that often involves sacrificing your momentum. Mm-hmm. So you have to be aware that when you make that play decision, you are giving your opponent the initiative. Sometimes that's still good, right? If you've got a really good reactive play, like we said, if you've got inevitability, if you're holding objectives, well, you don't really need to worry too much about taking lots of risks and potentially overextending and allowing them an opening. Mm-hmm. So you could argue that, yeah, I'm going to take my objective and then I'm going to set up around it and just prevent my opponent from taking it back and defend myself. But you have to be aware that like, in addition, you're paying a cost of like handing them the temple lead, handing them the initiative and maybe a positional advantage as well, or the ability to make more decisions that, you know, they can circumvent your kill zone.
0: Definitely. Um, we can illustrate this point really nicely with a mission like Armory. Um, Armory is a very easy mission to understand. Um, at the end of each game round, whoever has troops in the armory gets points. Right. Super easy mission, right? Um, but actually, if you have troops in the armory, so you're ahead in that respect... Um, you have some quite interesting choices to make there because proactively you could say, all right, well, actually, I have my guys in the armory. What I'm going to do is I'm going to push my troops forward and aggressively attack my opponent to make sure that they just cannot get in because they have no orders, they have no troops. So that would be your proactive option. Um, or reactively, you could just put a bunch of mines down and other ARO pieces and just say, well, you know, I'm not going to attack them directly, but I'm going to make it really difficult for them to get into the armory. Yeah. Um so even if you hold the objective, you can still play proactively if you want to, or you can swap and just uh go a bit more reactive and and just hold your opponent at bay instead.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes the, there, is, the best, there uh, is something
0: to be said for uh when ahead, get more ahead.
1: Yeah, the best the best defense is a good offense sometimes. But not always.
0: No, not always, definitely.
1: Um I guess the other also- thing to, to mention oh, yeah, is that on. like Sorry. this this does take practice. Like but you know, as, as we've seen, it's quite difficult to explain the various things that are and aren't tempo positive and are and aren't proactive or reactive. Um a lot of this is very nuanced and it takes building up it takes practice and building up an intuition. So it's something to think about when you go into your games, but don't necessarily feel like okay, I'm gonna lose because I can't immediately identify whether I'm the beatdown or not. It'll help if you can but it's not something that you um it's not something that you have to be able to do right away this will take time to build up and it's something to work on and something to learn that will help your game over time
0: yeah yes it will it will help your game over time and it will hopefully let you pull out really nice victories from positions that looked insurmountable um i'm thinking of the IGL finals, right, that we streamed, um, it was played just about a week ago now. Um, really, really interesting game where, uh, one player had turn one and was extremely proactive and, and put their opponent, uh, were they in loss of Lieutenant turn one, something like that. Can't quite remember. Uh, one player pushed really aggressively into the other. Um, and the opponent w- what they did that was really interesting was that the mission was a zone control mission and they really had two choices, right? They could have, um, spent their turn answering the opponent's pieces, right? So kind of just trying to undo the damage, um, or they could have played the objective and what, what they decided to do was to put their big tag, like right in the middle of the board and start controlling zones with it. Um, which I think superficially to a lot of people looked really stupid because they weren't trying to um, undo the damage that had been done to them. They weren't like getting rid of the aggressive pieces that the, the opponent had. But what they did was they took the advantage away from their their opponent immediately because they then started winning on objectives uh, straight away because they had a big expensive piece like in a scoring area Um and they actually went on to win the game, even though they were nearly tabled. They were very close to being tabled um, and they won the game. And they won the game because they said, well, OK, I don't have the aggressive advantage here. So I'm actually just not going to play that game. I'm just going to put my troops into scoring zones. Now you have to push into me. Um, I'm not going to answer you because I don't have the orders to do it. It's not It's not efficient for me to answer you, but it is efficient for me to put my big 80 point tag in the middle of the board and ask you to deal with it. Um, And it just so happened that the opponent couldn't. And so despite having an an amazing turn one push, they just didn't have enough resources to answer the tag. Um, And, and they lost um, despite having the most amazing proactive push, which shows that sometimes um, you might think that you should get like super, super proactive to push back on your opponent and to damage them back and to make sure they can't attack you again. But Maybe you just want to kind of reactively like move a threat up and just say to your opponent, all right, try and deal with this then. You know, you could deal with me on the first time. Can you deal with this later?
1: That's really cool. <clears throat> That's very yeah, cleverly played. Like I I like how it also shows how powerful, um, you know, AROs are a good comeback mechanic because even if you're behind on orders, you're not necessarily behind on AROs if your opponent is constantly having to tussle with your ARO piece or move right. around in, in its zone of control. Right. So their player was able to lay to leverage a strength that they still had, which is well, I still have this one thing left that has like a really big ass gun on it. Yeah. Um, so I'll just make you know try and force my opponent to deal with this by just parking it in cover and mm-hmm. shooting back at everything that tries to uh tries to attack this objective. Yeah, but I love that they absolutely. were able to turn that into a win.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think this is so important to think about. From through the lens of tempo and who's the beatdown. Because if that player with the tag, the Nomad's player in this example, had tried to become the beatdown and play aggressively, they wouldn't have had enough orders to do enough damage. The game would have, you know, really, really spiraled away from them. But what they did have was one big model and they did have infinite arrows because obviously you get infinite arrows on that model. So actually they said, you know, I'm I'm not even going to play the aggressive game. I'm just going to put this in the middle of the board. I'm going to score with it. And I'm going to say to you, if you do not deal with this, I just win. I just win the game. And that's it. Um, yeah, and they did, and they leveraged that. And it was a really interesting play, and, and they won. So,
1: yeah, you know, it was cool. It's like, the, is the only out you have, right? I mean, playing to your outs is maybe a concept for an entire separate podcast. But, you know, this yeah. player identified, well, I have no way of winning by just, like, trading pieces with my opponent, because they've already yeah. massively won on that regard. I have no way of winning through order efficiency or board presence or anything like that. The one thing I can do is hope that they can't kill this big robot and it worked. Yeah. And it might not have worked and they'd have lost the game and it would have been like, well, yeah, you know, they got lost and lieutenanted on turn one and then they lost fine. Sure. But like it did work because it was the only thing that could have worked.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I love that. It was just uh, a very good demonstration of going for the play that was, that was more efficient. It took fewer orders, essentially.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: Um, Cool. Well, I think that's everything. I would normally do a quick fire round, but they're all very specific Infinity questions, so I don't really feel like that's. Uh, Let's do it anyway. It'll be funny. <laughs> okay. <Go on>. Cool. <laughs> I can give. I can give background for things that you're not sure about. All it's right, probably so better that's...
1: if you don't. It'll be funny.
0: All right. Yeah. Okay. So uh, hacking or
1: tags. Big robots. Easy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. I, cool. I
1: have one Infinity model. It's a cutter, the old one. I love that model.
0: There's a new cutter that's lovely, by the way. I know it's gorgeous. To, uh, just to, tend it's beautiful. to. um Beautiful. Uh, would you rather play lots of camouflage or like a powerful fire team?
1: I like the camo units. They're fun. Mm-hmm. I, I like trolling your opponent. I think that's good.
0: Yeah, definitely. Would you say that you're like a go-wide player generally? Like, do you prefer going wide? Um, you know, no. like lots and lots of... You don't like that generally. Okay.
1: I like big idiots. I yeah? This is this is partly because a lot of my... When I played wargaming wargames mm-hmm. regularly, a lot of my decisions were based on A, what looks cool, and B, budget. And it turns mm-hmm. out that... Especially a war machine where like the metal infantry were insanely expensive. If you just buy one robot, that's the same number of point, same number of points as like fifty quid's worth of bane thralls. It's half the price and it looks cooler.
0: Yeah, that's true. Um, that's true.
1: Yeah, I've always been a, a a big robot slash monster type of player.
0: Mm-hmm. But uh, but I guess trolling your opponent with lots of camouflage is also very funny. So oh, absolutely. Um, all right, so this is a specific one. Uh, infiltration or Parachutist.
1: So just guessing what, what, what those mean, right? Yeah. Because um, obviously I've played other games that have similar mechanics. I, I am a big fan of both, but what breaks the, what tips the scales for me is, uh, so Necromunda, which is a have a 40k spin off game that's like a kind of campaign-based gang fighting game. It's superb. If you've never played it, it's awesome. Necromunda uh, has, or at least had in 2011 when I last played it, um has the most broken infiltrate mechanic ever and it's literally the same as everybody else's infiltrate mechanic you can just deploy a bit further forward oh, but right. um if you can get into melee combat on turn 1 with a close combat specialist then it puts you so far ahead because the way the characters scale in necromunda over the course of many matches the the melee characters you they have they scale ridiculously well <laughs> and so you can just have like this ordinary like gang member who became who's basically become a close combat god Get them into melee on turn one and just rip your opponent's team in half. And it works That's every single funny. time. It was great.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, no, and and I like doing that with infiltration in Infinity. So yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, would you rather pick deployment or pick
1: initiative? I'm a big fan of deployment advantage. So probably that. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, one of the most fun wargaming experiences I had was when uh, my friend and I played on the floor and put like we put a bunch of towels on a towel rail in between our deployment zones and deployed simultaneously uh, without seeing the other person's deployment. It was super cool.
0: Oh, interesting. That's really interesting. Like blind deploying.
1: Yeah, huh. it was super fun. I wish there was a way to do that in war games that didn't involve mm. furniture.
0: <laughs> yeah, that would be kind of cool. Nice. Yeah. Um, Okay, you're never going to get this one. Um, (laughs) uh, Annihilation or Countermeasures.
1: So Annihilation is the mission where you have to kill everything, right? And then presumably Countermeasures is some kind of objective mission. Uh,
0: So it has like random objective cards and you've got to like really build a list that's very good at doing these random objective cards.
1: To be honest, I think neither of them sounds great just based on that description. (laughs) I know that like- Very polarizing, very polarizing (laughs) missions. I feel like Annihilation is like Whenever I play games, war games, I'm always like, you know, objectives are good. Objectives force this and that. They have all these benefits. And then when I actually play, I'm like, I can't be bothered. Like, I always play these like fragile glass cannon units that are like, Mm -hmm. I just want to go and kill one thing or like try and get into close combat. And they're terrible at holding objectives because you just get shot. So like, unless, you know, maybe maybe one day they'll make uh, a game where the objectives are required to be in gigantic fortified towers that you can't (laughs) shoot into. Uh, But until then... In practice, I just I just want to kill their stuff because I don't have any yeah. other choice.
0: <laughs> it seems reasonable, yeah. T- take annihilation definitely. Um,
1: yeah, cool. it's easy, you know.
0: Well, uh, thanks for the chat today, Adam. Like, it's been great. It's been really good to talk about tempo and like how that relates to infinity. Um, anything else before we finish off?
1: No, I think I'm good. Thank you for having me. It's really fun. I hope Ooh. it's been uh, been useful for all the listeners. Um, thank yeah. you for yeah. Thank you for inviting me on.
0: Yeah, Thank you. Thank you very much for coming on. I think it's been um, a really, really interesting discussion today. Um, But that's all we've got time for today, listeners. Uh, Thanks for tuning in and
1: I will see you next time. See you around, everybody. Good luck, have fun. Bye.